Turn your Bibles to the book of Titus. The kids are dismissed. I am so sorry. Kids are dismissed. <clears throat> Titus chapter 3, way in the New Testament. Timothy, Titus comes right after. We're going to look at princi- uh, principle this morning. What does God think of me? What does God think of you, by the way? All right, we're going to look at the subject this morning. Look at Titus chapter 3, verse 1. If you have, like, your Bible on your phone, on your iPad, or on your paper, by whatever you have, just look, let's look at it. But then, put then in mind to be subject to principality, principalities and powers, to obey magistrate, magistrates, I'm sorry, to be ready to every good work, to, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, be gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, being di- uh, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the, that the kindness and love of God, our Savior, towards men appeared. Now by the works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of your generation and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us a Abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will, that thou wilt affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this passage of Scripture. I pray, Lord, my heart goes this morning to those that may be here and never received Jesus as personal Savior. May they today, Lord, take you at face value, call upon you for salvation. Even, Lord, right there on social media, whatever they are in their homes or some other place, may they bow down call upon you for salvation today. And for your people, Lord, may we understand and get, leave this morning out of this place knowing that the way you think about us individually. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> if you don't mind me, I hate to do this, but when you sing too much and talk too much, your throat gets dry. Uh, and I feel like I have to drink some water. You're looking at me. It's like, I want some water too. <laughs> well, anyway, <clears throat> the title of the message this morning, What Does God Think of Me? Let me ask you a question. Do you ever wonder what people think about you? Some, some people are consumed about this. They live to what people think about them. My poor mother always had her house look like a museum just because a neighbor might come over and visit. And she lives with me. Well, my house is not a museum. It's very, we live in the house, right? If I want a museum, I just go visit one. But anyway, my poor mother. Okay. <laughs> so do you ever wonder what people think of you? Do you ever even care of what people think of you? Do you really care? Well, most of us do, believe it or not. Well, you, you, your answer probably will be no, but for some extent, most of us do care of what people say. People say something to you and bothers you for days. Now, let me ask you another question. Has anyone ever told you what they really think of you? <laughs> when they do, were you sorry that they did? Were you offended? Were you hurt? 
<laughs> this is a good question, isn't it? Let me tell you what I think of you. Oh, oh, oh I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got to go. <laughs> I think it's the best way. I got to go. Okay? Because you might think, oh, they're going to tell me this and this and that. It might come something else that you don't like it. So i like, you know, I got to get something to drink. I'll be, I'll be back in a couple hours. <laughs> so, there have been a time when a person told me what they thought of me, and I was glad they did. There have been other times when folks have shared their thoughts with me, and I was not very pleased at all. Let's look at this, this from a, a spiritual perspective this morning. If you were to ask Satan what he thinks about you, you probably would say, you're just a loser. You're a failure. If you ask society what they think of you, society might say, you're a fool. Life is short to spend in a church every week. You're a fool going there. If you ask yourself, that is, your own heart, self might say, you are a fake. Look in the mirror. Wake up. Smell the coffee. By the way, I like the smell of coffee. Do you? Yeah. I like when people call my oven and say, Pastor, it smells like coffee here. I'm like, yeah, I just, I just had a coffee. <laughs> but when it comes down to it, you know something? I drink tea. Tea doesn't smell like coffee. I don't know why. So when it comes down to it, does it really matter what Satan, society, and self think about you and me? Does it? No. To the Christian, the answer should be no. Listen, it don't matter what you do. People are always going to form a thing about thinking about you, and no matter how you try to justify it. If people don't like you, they're going to tell you, I don't like you. You know, you try to make friends with them, they're going to say, I don't like you. Do you have experience that? It doesn't mean that you mean or a bad person. That's just the way they and some people try at all costs to be liked by people, and they say, get away, I don't like you. But I do anything to you. It doesn't matter. And some people like you. So, but the question, the question be, shouldn't bother us. So, did you ever find yourself thinking out loud, what does God think of me? Did you ever thought about that thought? Look at the little kid in the, in the outline. I mean, I'm saying the little kid probably, probably said because he didn't have his little ice cream. Or something, but I thought that was a good picture for the outline. So, uh, what did God? I mean, what did God think of me? In your own personal life, the little things that you do, how you live your life, the things that you do, that nobody knows. You have a, the question that came to your mind: What God thinks of me? I think it's a sobering question. Look, it says in Ecclesiastes chapter twelve, verse thirteen. Let us hear the whole conclusion. Uh, hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment, and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. It be evil. So, everything that we do would come to the light of day. God would expose all those things. Have you wondered just what God thinks of you? Is it possible to know what God thinks about you? Do we really want to know what God thinks about you? Do you really want to know? I mean, if you don't want to know, but I will let you know this morning, okay? Let's <laughs> just sit there and hold on, okay? Well, this passage right here in this morning, our text this morning, clearly reveals what God thinks about you and about me. So Paul is writing to Titus, a young pastor of the island of Crete, right here. In chapter 2, he wrote about how believers should behave in the church. 
And in this chapter, he talks about how believers should behave in society. So Paul calls on Titus to put them in mind about certain things. So he wants the saints to remember who they are in Christ and what they have in Jesus and what, and what God has done in them through Jesus Christ and what God uh, expects them to live and, do, and to do and what God thinks of them. So, what does God think of you and think about me this morning? What God thinks of you? Literally, what does God thinks of you? Oh, I don't know. Okay. Number one. You ready? That's how God thinks of you. You are precious to Him. You are precious to Him. We look at this in verse 3 to verse 6. Satan and his demons come and whisper in your ears, give it up. Give up on God because it's not even worth it. Live, eat, drink, be merry because you're going to die tomorrow anyway. Why are you wasting your time praying, going to church and worship a God that doesn't care? God says, you are precious to me. That's a beautiful word. You are precious to me. In the deeps of despairs, in the deep valleys, in the deeps of hurt, we can keep that in mind. I am precious to my Lord. Listen, folks. We have a world today on which has become more and more anti God. The heart of man is deceitful or is deceived and they want nothing to do with God. And God looks at his children and say, you are precious to me. Isn't that what a father and a mother say to their kids? You're precious. You put your kids in the playground with a bunch of kids, but your eyes are where? In that little one. Whatever that little one goes, your eyes, your heart is, you know why? Because that child is precious to you. So are we in the eyes of our Savior, of God. We are precious to Him. He bought us with a great price. So we see, letter A, the extent of His love. Look at verse 3. For we ourselves, we are sometimes foolishness, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse loss and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. You tell me it's not, it's not the picture of our world. It's not the picture of our world. Hateful people, right. deceiving one another. People try to climb the, the ladder of success, and they don't care who they step on. But now the children of the living gods. We should be a reflection of our Heavenly Father. You see, verse 3 paints a vivid picture of what the believer was before. He or she met Jesus. Take a look of these things that describes the believers before salvation. Foolishness, it means ignorant to the very, the, the very thing to do, everything to do with God. Disobedient, rebellious towards any authority instituted by God. Deceived, continually uh, led deep and deep into sin, into sin by Satan. Serving diverse loss and pleasures. A slave, a slave of their own uh, fleshly appetite and passions. Living in malice, says they, giving over to a lifestyle of evil and wickedness. Envy, never satisfied with what we have, but always grasping what our neighbor have. Hateful, this is a natural fruit of all above. This kind of life makes us mean spiritually and hateful towards others. Hating one another, the Bible says, walking with our love for our fellow men. I saw one time one man in the sidewalk in the city of Providence. He fell down to the ground and people were walking like this. 
I say, can you be so unloving, so uncaring that the human being falls in the ground and you don't get there or try to get a rescue to get there and help that man? That's how we have become, folks. That we come to a point that we don't even care about our fellow men. And the Bible says we are to care for one another. The extent of his love, letter A, let's go to letter B, the evidence of his love. It's not like God just puffs it up. Verse 4 says, after that, after what? The things that we used to do, now that we don't do it anymore, to understand these two words, we must look at the previous verse, of course, and obviously uh, uh, and speak of our condition before salvation. This speak of our condition before salvation. Reminds us of who we were. In other words, in spite of what we were and what we used to do, now we're doing something totally different. Let me tell you, folks, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, if you think that I did. I didn't grow up with the Bible next to me. You know, I grew up with wine and all kinds of drinks, all kinds of stuff around me. That's the way my father lived. I didn't get saved until I was 32 years old. I know what the world offers. You follow that? I lived in the world for 32 years. I know what the world offers. I know what the world says. I know what the, world, the way the world wants you to go. But I met God. I met God. And all those things that we read here before, God said, yeah, that was there and it's in the heart of man. Why do you think this morning there's more people in the beach than there's people in church? Because the love of God is not in their hearts. Why do you think there's more people in the golf course this morning than in church? Oh, church is boring. Oh, really? Really? Ah, I'm not bored yet. We see the evidence of his love right here. To understand, like I said, in other words, in spite of what we, we were and are, God chooses to display his love for us. How did he do that? The answer see we verse 6, through Jesus Christ. God gave evidence of his love for falling man by sending his son to go to the cross of Calvary and die for our sin. Right. Listen, please. Nobody can go die and go to hell and say nobody loves me. That is a lie because God loves every human being on the face of this earth. But he loves his children as well. Listen, please, anybody can say, I love you at any moment, but love is not really love until it is put to test. Simple, simple words make up, uh, make up love, really is, but love is more than just words. It involves actions. Amen. It does. And God demonstrated his love for us. Look what it says in Romans 8, 5, 8, but God commanded his love towards us. And there, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave us only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know what this demonstrates in here? God put His love into practice. He's demonstrating at Calvary's cross. But that's the love of God for you and me. People say, oh, God doesn't love me. That is not true. That is a lie. God loves you and loves me. You are precious to Him. Let us see, we see the energy of his love. We see here in verse 5, look in verse 6, it says, Now by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which we are, he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. You see the energy of his love? Folks, love, it causes energy. It causes us to do something. And God shows you, he says to you and me, You are precious to me, child. I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to go to Calvary's cross for you. 
Look of all the love and grace for us in verse 5. He extended his grace and mercy to us when we deserve nothing but hell. He saved us from the penalty of our sin. We are saved. He cleansed us from the defile of our sins. He washed us. We see the word washing there. He made a new, uh, us new creatures, regeneration. He, he, he placed His Holy Spirit in us to lead us into a deeper relationship with Him. The word renew in there. He gave us a place in heaven. Complete glorification. And He says, you know why? Because you are precious to me. You know? Satan will tell you that God doesn't love you at all. The world and his philosophies will cause you to doubt the love of God. Yourself question sometimes if God really loves you, especially when you're hurting. But the evidence says something quite different. The evidence is that God says to you and me, through his word, you are precious to me. I love you. Amen. Number two. Not only God thinks you're precious, but God thinks you are perfect. You say, perfect? Me, I'm far from being perfect. Listen, please. What mother doesn't see her newborn baby as the perfect baby? All right, mothers. When your child was born, somebody comes to you and says, oh, your baby, it's ugly. Oh, you're going to see a ferocious mother coming out of that chair, and somebody who better run for their lives. Correct, moms? Is that correct? I'm not, I'm not a mom. I'm a dad. All right. Is that correct? Okay. You know what? Because that's the perfect baby. Is the perfect child. Don't tell any mother that. And still, listen, when I walk in my house, my mother in her condition, she's all smiles. I think she still thinks that my perfect. I'm not perfect. Anyway. <laughs> but you got, the, you got the, the picture right here is that Every mother believes that newborn baby is perfect. That is the way God sees you and me. We are his children. Amen. He give me, he give, if you, I'm sorry, go back a little bit. That's the way God sees So if we give an ear to the whispers of Satan, he will defeat, uh, he, he, we will be defeated in no time. We must keep always in mind that he is a liar. And that he's against God and his children. And he's in the business of destroying you and your testimony for God. He say, well, is such thing as Satan? Yes. Is such thing as evil angels? Yes. Only if God would allow us to see the spiritual, we would see what's going on around us. You know, the Bible says he puts himself in an angel of light. Wow. That dude is more powerful than we think. That's why we need to be on guard all the time. The purpose of that is to break your fellowship with the Lord. He points out how much of a failure you are and, and that you have no hope at all. And he, he says to you, what's the use for you? Look what God, Jesus said about this guy or this evil doer called Satan. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father, what will you do? He's talking to the Jews here. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in, in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, when he, he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of, of your own, for he is a liar and the father of it. You see the way Jesus describes Satan? I know he's talking to the Jewish people here, but he's described, that's the way he is. You know, and if we allow them to deceive us, we would indeed be deceived. So what we see right here under that second point, we see the definition. What does it mean to be justified? 
Justified comes from the word that means to render righteous to such ought to be. Justification is a, is a judicial, um, judicial act of God whereby he declares the guilty sinner to be righteous and free from the guilt and punishment. You know why? God does this because God loves you and when he justifies you, he looks at you as a perfect child. You know why? Because when you look at you and you look at you, and he look at me, and he look at you, he sees the righteousness of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in you. So he say, well, but I'm a failure. Oh, now he sees the righteousness of Jesus in you. If you don't believe me, read your Bible. You know, God says, you are precious to me. Not only precious to me, he says to you, you are perfect. Why? Because he doesn't look at your failures. He looks at the righteousness of Jesus in you. That's what happened when you get saved. Praise the Lord for that, isn't it? Now, not only see with definition, we see the descriptions. Some people think that justification is just a, a, the forgiveness of our sin. Justification is more powerful than that. When there is forgiveness, it's also the remembrance of the wrong committed. A man may be convicted of murder and be forgiven by the, by the victim's family, but everyone will still know that he is a murderer. And what he did. On the other hand, a person who has been justified, has been totally uh, totally. Uh, uh, free of charges, so there is absolutely no record of any wrongdoing. So when we are justified by God, all records of our sin is forever banished from the memory of God. I mean, God did not forget, don't get me wrong here, He chooses not to bring it up. You follow that? So let us see, we see the defense. So my hear this and say, well, that is an excuse to sin. Our sin and God doesn't remember. Our sin and God, no, that's not what it is. Even Paul says, should we go sin that grace may abound? No. But you know what? Some Christians take that to extreme, and they do. They do. If the Lord doesn't remember, and he's already declared me righteous to the blood of Jesus, then I can do as I please with no consequences. Let me put it this way. The Bible doesn't each touch a thing. The Bible, even though the Lord sees as a, a us as his, the perfect child is what God does. When you do wrong, yes, you ask God for forgiveness and he will forgive you. But it's one thing he doesn't do. He doesn't wipe away the consequences. You follow that? We will reap the consequences. And sometimes the consequences are painful. But that's one thing that the Bible clearly teaches. God will forgive you every time you ask. But he allows you to reap what you have done. Okay? So we see the defense here. So let's go to point number three. Uh, what God thinks of me. What does God think of me? First, God thinks you are precious to him. Secondly, God thinks you are perfect. And number three, God thinks that you are a privilege. Look at verse seven. Then being justified by his grace, we should be made ears according to the hope of eternal life. You see, Satan is not just something someone invented. This guy is for real, folks. And he is after you. Don't you know that? You know what Satan wants to do to a Christian? Completely destroy the, the, the fellowship, his fellowship with God. Completely kill your testimony and put you in a box somewhere. That's what he wants to do. And he has done many of that. You have done many. So, 
Sometimes we think that Satan is just this little thing in a cartoon with a little tail and a little horns and red, and you go like, and the angel is here, and the Satan is here, and you wipe him out, and we will oh, don't listen to you today. No, that's not what it is. He's a lot stronger than we think. So it comes, he comes and tells you, tells the believer that serving God is a waste of time. Why are you going to church for? It's boring. That church is full of hypocrites. That is the only, the only church, the only thing that churches want is money. That is just, that is, I'm saying that is that it just just doesn't pay off to live right, go to church and read your Bible. Why are you doing that for? Why don't you have fun for a change? And you, I tell you what, that's what he whispers in your ears. Now what God wants you to do as a child of God. You see, some people might really think church is boring. Okay. Some people might think that the church is full of hypocrites. Let me put it this way. There's a lot more hypocrites outside the church than in the church. Okay. Some people might think that churches just want money. Well, let's put it this way. You need to pay your bills. God's people got to help. Otherwise, we all go home. Isn't that correct? All right. But, I mean, I complain that I... Ah, your churches want money, but I go to see the patrons that pay two, three hundred dollars to go sit in a cold seat all winter long and get snow in my head to watch some people are killing each other down there. Well, that's fun. Well, don't get me wrong. I like sports too, and I watch it. But let me tell you, if we put apples with apples here, I will get the golden apples first then before I get the sour ones. <laughs> because that's my I like the golden ones first. But anyway, you see what I'm saying? You see, look what it says in verse 7. Then being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Letter A, we are privileged because of our earthly hope. Folks, we Christians have a hope that this world doesn't have. It is the salvation that we have and a heaven that we go into. That's a great hope that people don't understand. They think that we live in a fantasy world. No, we live in a reality that is true. Is Jesus coming again? Yes, he is. Nice. Is this world coming to an end? Yes, it will. Right. Number one there under that sub point, they say, the Lord is always with me. Folks, let me tell you this way. Heaven is a wonderful place, but the Lord is always with me. If you're a child of God here today, it's the greatest hope that you are a privilege. You are such a privilege to him so in such a way that he's always with you. Whenever you go, the Spirit of God is in you. I'll tell you what, what a glory, what a hope. Obviously, I'm that privileged to allow the Spirit to live in me. Not only that, the Lord has promised to meet all my needs. Actually, look, look, actually, go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. You say, well, God will meet all my needs. Right here, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Jesus Christ. Oh, Christ Jesus. And the Bible says in Matthew 6, 25, Therefore I say unto you, that's Jesus speaking, Take no thought for your life. What shall ye eat? What shall ye, ye shall drink? For yet for, for your body, what ye shall put on is not life more than meat and the body more than raiment. Behold the falls of the year, uh, for 
They sow not, neither they reap, nor they get in the barns. Yet your heavenly Father feed them. Are ye not much better than they? Jesus said. So you see right here, the Lord promised to meet our needs because why? Because He, he loves you. And secondly, not only because He loves you, because He thinks you are perfect. And number three, because God thinks you are a privilege. Listen to me. My dear mother's home in the bed. She can't do much anymore. But to me, I'm spending time with her. It's a privilege to me to be taken care of her. I don't think that is a burden. I don't think that, oh, I got to do this. It's a privilege. So God says, I take care of you. It's a privilege to God that, that he takes care of us. Amen. Maybe take that to heart. Oh, I got to work in order to get my things. Oh, yeah, really? Who provides you the job? Oh, I have made the application. Okay. All right. Who gave you the help to work? Oh, well, I eat healthy. Okay, healthy people die too. All right, we can go on. We'll give you the air to breathe. We can go on and on here. It's God that provides. You want because He loves you. Number three, He cares about uh, all about, uh, I'm sorry, He cares about all that I face in life. Hebrews 14, uh, 4, uh, 16 says, Let us therefore come bold into, into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Listen, don't go through the troubles of life alone. God loves you enough to say, I'll go with you. Number four, listen to me. When, he listens to me when I pray. All right, I hope you believe that. I hope you really do. You know what? What do we need to run is to God and with our prayers. But we need to believe that He cares and He listens. And He says, I do care because I do listen. We need to run to the Lord when life doesn't make sense. We need to run to the Lord when we hurt it. We need to run to the Lord at any time of life. We need to run to Him and pray. Let it be, we are privileged because of our eternal hope. Not only we are privileged because of what we have here, we're also privileged because we are heading home to heaven. You see, folks, heaven is not just a place in, a, in people's minds where we have little, little angels with little wings uh, singing, playing the harp in the clouds. And that's what you see in pictures out there. That's not heaven. Heaven is a place like earth is. It's a place where God dwells, and that's where God's people are going. I said, God's people. Because the unsaved world will not enter that city, will not enter there. Only God's people. So it is a, hope, a privilege for us even to go there because none of us deserve heaven. None of us. We are privileged people. We have the best. I mean, we have the best is yet to come. What God we serve. We see uh, he sees us sent for broken, needy people, and yet he loves us. He sees what, what, we, what, the, uh, we, uh, what we do, but he still loves us. Look what it says in Psalm 100, verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that made us, and now we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. See, we are precious people, those of us who are saved. We are saved by his grace, and he loves us. He cares about us. He, he hears us. Listen, don't make prayer. Don't make prayer in your life something that, eh, uh, make prayer something that is a privilege. Think about it. You're talking to the God who created you. You're, taking to, you're talking to the one that is all-powerful. Right. 
Almighty God, holy. Go to the Lord and pray. So, what God think about me? He thinks that I am precious. He thinks that I am perfect. He thinks that I, he thinks that I am a I am privileged. Yeah, I'm a privilege. Number four, God thinks you are profitable. Satan or the flesh says, how can God use you when you are a perfect mess? How can you serve God or help others when you cannot help yourself? You will amount to nothing as a Christian. Look at the things you do. Look at the life you live. Look at your failures. Folks, that's the world. That's Satan whispering in your ears. Well, the truth is different uh, altogether when God says. God says, no, no, no. I love you and I can use you. Amen. But hey, God can use your walk. Look what it says in Titus 3.1. Put, put then in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. God doesn't say, go on living this way. Go on living in sin. Go on do what you do. No, so this is what you need to do. That's what God says. So Paul is telling uh, these folks to walk in discipline, uh, in a disciplined manner. They are to obey the law of the land and submit to the people of the land. You, you uphold those laws. By the way, don't you know that presidents and those people in power, God put them there. You say, whoa, whoa, read your Bible. You'll find that God put him there. So, I might not agree with their uh, policies, but I have to respect their position. You follow that? I'll be, I'll be honest with you. My, my superiors that I work for, some of them I know are far more than they know. I've been there for almost 20 years. I respect their position. They're above me. Not necessarily that I might not respect them as a person for the way they live and what they do, but we got to respect that. So it goes like this. If you don't like, if you don't, if you don't agree with the president, they have policies, pray for him. You say, well, pray for what? For salvation. Amen. He needs the Lord. That's right. He's a human being just like me and you. In the end of all things, we're all the same at the foot of the cross. So, Paul tells us to obey those things so we can live in a peaceful life. Just the way you carry yourself from day to day is a powerful witness to the world around you. As you live for the Lord and demonstrate His love and grace, we are allowing Him to live through you or through us and show uh, His love to others as well. Listen, folks, we live in a very hateful world. People need to see that God is real and God can transform people's lives. Let it be. He can use your witness. He can use your witness. Look what it says in verse 2. To speak evil of no man. Folks, you're a Christian. And that goes to me too. We should not be speaking evil of anyone. That's God and His Word. You should be speaking no evil of any man. Be not brawlers. Look what it says right there. But gentle. Showing all meekness unto all men. You see that? God can use your witness. You see, for us, in order to be a good witness of the Lord Jesus Christ, and not to open our mouth and tell about the salvation that He brings, our life must reflect the goodness of God. That's letter B. And let us see, He can use your works. Look at verse 8. Verse eight. It says in the end of the verse, it says, carefully to maintain good works 
these things are good and profitable unto all men. So when you set your heart to go after God, the result it will be good works. You will soon discover that God did not save you just to keep you from hell. He saved you because He wants to use you. Look what it says in Ephesians 2.10. For we are as workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. I can give you several verses about that, on which God, what He wants you, to, you and me to do, is to do good works. I don't work to be saved or to get saved. I work because I am saved. Amen. That's what God wants us to do. So, in your workplace, be kind, be loving, show the love of God to people. If you work with people, be kind, be loving, show the love of God to people. Whatever you are, you go to the grocery store, be kind, be loving, show the love of God to people. You go to the bank, be kind, be loving, show the love of God to people. Show Christ to them by the way you present yourself. Every, that's what we should do. Listen, if we Christians do this every day, I believe we can make a difference in our world. You follow that? I conclude with this. So what does God think of you? He thinks you are precious, perfect, you are privileged, you are profitable to Him. How? And that's how He sees you. What, does, what, do, what do you need to do in your life in order to see this vision? You know what we need to do? We need to get on our knees and say, Lord, forgive me for not seeing this. Forgive me. I need your love. Lord, I didn't know that that's the way you see me. That's the way God sees you. He sees you through the blood of his, of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are a privilege to Him. You are precious to Him. May we not forget that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord. This morning, Lord, our hearts just, we just express our gratitude and love, Lord. We don't deserve your love. You know, we don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve anything. But you say that you are we are precious to you. We are perfect to you. Lord, I don't even understand that. Lord, that you love us. I don't know how you can love a sinner like me. But Lord, thank you. Even though I don't understand because I'm just a child. Thank you, Lord, for loving me with such intensity. Thank you, Lord, for thinking that I'm perfect when I don't think I am. Thank you, Lord, that you say I am profitable to you and sometimes I think I'm a failure. Thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, I think this is the prayer of all of us here this morning and those online as well. Lord, I pray, Father, if there's someone here that never received Jesus as Savior online, may today they call upon you for salvation. And for your children, Lord, help us to love you more. To be more of you and less of us in our own lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.